Rural hospitals are often praised for their personalized approach of neighbors caring for neighbors. But along with the rest of the healthcare industry, rural providers are not immune to the increasingly less human-centered care that we sometimes see today. So, how do hospitals become more personable and less mechanical? With a patient-centered approach, careful implementation of technology, and a constant connection to their mission. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 75 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. So, Rachel, sometimes we hear often in our industry is that healthcare is becoming more robotic uh, and less human touch. Uh, today, we're going to get into the reason for lack of human connection regarding healthcare uh, and the issues that surround it. That's right. We're talking with someone who, as a former practicing physician themselves, has seen the advancements in technology make it a little easier for healthcare to become less personalized. You know, that's right, Rachel. Our guest today is a good friend of mine, decades old friend of mine, Dr. Charles Veer, a retired chief of staff at Hillsdale Hospital. Uh, Dr. Veer, welcome to Rural Health Rising. Thank you. Well, to start, Dr. Veer, since uh, I do not know you and haven't known you for decades like J.J. has, nor have our listeners, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work when you were here at Hillsdale Hospital? Okay. Uh, um, I always wanted to be a doctor ever since I was a kid. And when people would ask me why, I would give them a, kind of the cliche that uh, I wanted to help people. Uh, but I, I guess that was truly the reason. But I, uh, I delayed my entrance into medicine uh, because I didn't think I was smart enough oh. uh, to get into medical school. And so I went into social work and then uh, on into teaching. Uh, but I couldn't shake the dream of being a doctor. So finally, at the age of 34, uh, with uh, eight children, uh, I decided to try to pursue that dream and fortunately found a school, uh, uh, Missouri University, uh, that would accept me uh, in spite of my handicaps, uh, <laughs> and uh, I became a doctor. And I interned in Saginaw, Michigan, mm -hmm. and I looked for a place to practice in southern Michigan. I was looking for a small town. I wanted to be a small-town family doc, uh, and uh, I visited a number of communities uh, in southern Michigan, and among them was Hillsdale. And the thing that tipped, well, a couple of things tipped the, tipped the scale. One, they had a Catholic school. I wanted that. And secondly, they had a college in the town. And uh, I thought, and that was the only small town that I visited that had a college. And mm. that, uh, I thought, would provide me with some uh, academic security, mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. and it has certainly done that. Mm -hmm. uh, so those were the two basic reasons that uh, I ended up in, in Hillsdale. So, Dr. Veer, you were in Hillsdale in what year? What year did you come to Hillsdale? 1967. Now, can you explain for us, in 1967, uh, what was, you were, you were, well, first of all, let's, let's talk about this. You delivered how many children? Uh, a little over 2,000. 2,000. Wow. As a family As a physician. family physician. That's an important aspect right. for that's us to talk about. Right. very different than what you typically see today. This was well before OBGYN teams came to local hospitals, right, Dr. Veer? Yeah, right. And you were a family practice provider, but you were also, uh, you would stitch 
uh, up individuals in your office. Oh, of course. You would deliver babies, obviously 2,000, Rachel. Amazing. It is absolutely amazing. And Dr. Veer uh, later recounts his story through two books now, Dr. Veer? Well, I've actually written five. But is there five? Wow. Yeah. But, All right. uh, but uh, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned OB, and that is one of my... <sighs> I guess my disappointments uh, with today's medicine, I think I was the last family physician to deliver a baby at Hillsdale Hospital, hmm. uh, and I think that's unfortunate. Uh, I've been retired for 30 years, hmm. uh, and to think that family physicians uh, are no longer delivering babies here is, is disappointing. The you're concerned about the changes that I've seen, and uh, one of the things that happened when I came here, there were 14 physicians, hmm. mm -hmm. um, and most of us were family practitioners. There was a surgeon and uh, and a an internist uh, and a radiologist, but uh, most of us were family physicians, and most all of us delivered babies. Uh, when I first came. We also covered the emergency room. We did not have emergency room doctors. Uh, we did not have hospitalists. Uh, we took care of, we saw our patients in the emergency room. We took care of them when they were in the hospital. Um, and it was uh, my idea of true family medicine where my, my desire was to take care of my patients from birth till death. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was certainly true in those days. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was not unique. All the family physicians in Hillsdale did the same thing. So, Dr. Veer, one of the things, um, you know, if there's ever anyone who's lived with purpose and whose life is really fashioned with purpose, it's uh, Bud and Gloria Veer. Now, Gloria, we call her Glow, uh, <laughs> was Bud's wife and partner for how many years, Bud? 68 years. 68 wow. years. She recently passed away, um, but was truly uh, a godsend for this community. And, you know, I think now that you've been retired for 30 years, and we are going to talk about your time during your practice and then your time here, what we like to do is we always start the episode with a question of why. And I think as, as I look at this, Bud, uh, you know, it's been 30 years, um, but you still have an amazing why. Uh, you still drive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and... Are we allowed to say? Don't how take you? away my car. We're not going to take your car away. <laughs> We've already said that to your kids. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, you still um, have a why. And so, I want to ask you, uh, what is your why, Bud? What motivates you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning? I think you know. I've always felt there are three things you need in life to be happy, at whatever age you are. Uh, and the three things are: you need someone to love something to do, and something to look forward to. And I try to keep those in mind. So I try to do things that'll give me something to do uh, and also something to look forward to, whether it's writing a book, uh, reading a book, uh, being involved uh, in, in, a, in the fitness center out at the uh, senior center. Oh, yeah. Uh, or whatever. Uh, so... <sighs> And, and people will, will realize this when they get older, and particularly after they retire. After you retire, you still have the same number of, day, of hours in the day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, they just aren't filled with work. 
Yeah. So you have to fill them with something. And for me, uh, uh, the somethings are are uh, something to do and something to look forward to. Yeah. So I'm going to say it. 94? 96. 96. Are you kidding me? No. Bud Veer is 96. Dr. What? Charles Veer. Isn't that hard to believe? It is. Yes. 96. Doesn't look 96. Still bikes, I'm sure. No, 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 no. You don't I bike? gave up. I gave Did up. Did you give it up? All right. Well, Still drives. Wow. <laughs> Jay, there's three things. <laughs> there's three things I've lost since I've gotten old. Okay. Uh, one is strength. Yeah. Uh, second is balance. Yeah. And the third thing I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's I like good. it. I like it. That's really that good. Is good. And then. Children, so let's just get that out of the way. Uh, you've got a slew of kids. Well, when we got married, we had both read Cheaper by the Dozen. We thought, <laughs> and we thought that sounded kind of neat. And so we had agreed when we got married that we were going to have a big family. Yeah. Now, you have to understand that this was way back in the, uh, well, the 40s, the 50s. We got married in, in, in uh, 1950. 50, um, and... Uh, and in those days, uh, big families were not uncommon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, we were trying to replenish after the Second World War. Uh, and so we had decided to have lots of children. Uh, and uh, when we came to Hillsdale, uh, we had 10 children. And we, we had discovered what caused having children, and what caused it was moving. Every time we moved to a new location, <laughs> my wife got pregnant, and that's why we stayed in Hillsdale. <laughs> and we're, <laughs> we never no had, more kids. And it, wor and it worked. We didn't have any more children. <laughs> but anyway, we got to Hillsdale, and, we were, and she was pregnant, of course. We were moving to a new city, and, <laughs> and uh, that would be our 11th. And we decided, that's it. That's it. We're quitting now. But the good Lord has his own plans. Yes, and he, he looked down and he said, oh, no, no, you said 12. So <laughs> oh, I'm sending man. 12 with 11. Isn't that awesome? So we ended up with twins. That's awesome. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That is It's a remarkable amazing. story. It really is. So tell us a little bit more. You talked about, you know, your role in your practice as a family physician, which is very different than, than what we see for family medicine today. But in general, what was medicine like when you were practicing? How was it different? than, you know, the experience for today's doctors? Well, I, you know, I view medicine in two, uh, from two angles. One is the science of medicine, mm -hmm. which obviously has made tremendous progress. Uh, and the other is the art of medicine. And that's where I think we're failing a little bit today. Uh, the art of medicine is how you, how you deal with the patient, how you make the patient feel. Mm. Uh, and uh, the science of medicine, of course, is uh, whether you cure them or not. Uh, but I think that there are several factors that have entered into a diminishing of the art of medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, one of these factors is, is, has been the introduction of other specialties. And I'm thinking specifically of ER physicians and hospitalists. And they're wonderful physicians, and they're, they certainly have the science, but they don't have any connection to the community. Mm. They come here for a day or a weekend or something, uh, and then they leave. So their relationship with the patients is not, not personal. Uh, and they're very good doctors. I don't uh, begrudge them that. But uh, you, in, in, 
in some respects, they're here to do a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do the job, and uh, they'll probably never see the patient again. Uh, and to me, that's been part of the change that I think has been unfortunate. Uh, we used to, as I say, we used to follow our patients in the emergency room, uh, mm-hmm. in the hospital, and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, and that isn't done anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think part of it has been now. I, I have to add an addendum to that. Uh, when hospitalists first came to Hillsdale Hospital, I was retired at the time, uh, and I think Dr. Alipet was too. Mm-hmm. But uh, a a local resident, actually Link Miller was his name, uh, ca- called both of us and said, "How do you feel about these hospitalists coming in?" And uh, he wanted to get it. He, he did not like that idea. Uh, and as a family physician, I didn't like it either. You know, I like to follow my patient in the hospital. But I rethought that a little bit mm-hmm. from the standpoint of the patient. Mm. And I got, had a little different perspective. I'm in the office seeing patients, uh, and I get a call from the hospital. A patient I have in the hospital is having problems and I obviously have to leave the office and take take care of that patient. Uh, the patients uh, to have appointments in the office have to wait or they have to mm-hmm. reschedule. Uh, mm-hmm. The hospitalists are usually internists and oh, yeah. they're very very wise medically. Sure. Uh, and they're going to take good care of a, a, a trauma that comes up in the hospital on the patient. So the patient's going to get good medical care. Uh, and... Uh, with with a hospitalist, I can stay in the office, mm-hmm. and the patients in the office aren't inconvenienced. Mm-hmm. So, uh, looking at it from the standpoint of patients, mm-hmm. I think it gives me a little a little different, a little yeah. more flexible yeah. uh, approach on that. Yeah. So let's talk about your time uh, as a physician, because one of the other issues and or often complaints that we heard from physicians. Uh, in the last two decades has been what's called work-life balance, Dr. Veer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's they want to spend time with their family. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, I guess, uh, hallmarks of family country doc, as you as you describe it, is that you it was pretty much you and you were always on call. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to be at the hospital after you ran your clinic. You right. were doing rounds probably at 10 o'clock at night. Is that correct? Well, usually I did my rounds in the morning, oh, you but did. Uh, okay. sometimes I would have to. And of course, <laughs> uh, I I loved OB. Uh, delivering babies is the probably the, the only thing I missed from my medical yeah. practice because uh, uh, it was always a miracle. Mm-hmm. Still is a miracle to me that this mm-hmm. this baby started as a single cell and right. it developed like this. I always felt it was miraculous. Yeah, I miss that, but I didn't miss the hours that the women right. decided to have the baby. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, so uh, you're right, Jay. Uh, one, of the, one of the challenges, and, and I never was a, had a partner, right. uh, which was probably a, a mistake on my part. Uh, but uh, so I was on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week for uh, all of my patients. Mm-hmm. And when I decided to retire... It was an instantaneous moment. Uh, I can remember the moment to this day. 
I was, it was an August evening, and I was in my office hmm. uh, checking, doing chart work or something, uh, whatever I was doing. And I looked at all the thousands of charts that were in the files there, and I thought, my gosh, I'm on call for all these people. Mm-hmm. They expect me to come in if they have a problem and, and um, make some good decisions. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the, the load got heavy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's when I decided it was time to retire. Really? Um, it was, it, it was a, a moment. It wasn't a, a yeah. period of time. Now, it, it varies with different people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think specialists, of course, uh, uh, perhaps have a little more flexibility. Yeah. And today, the way the, the hospital is run, uh, uh, doctors have a little more of what you would call lifetime or yeah. uh, whatever. Right. Uh, but uh, I loved what I did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my wife was marvelous. And she accepted the fact that I could be called out at any time. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, that was not a problem. But the uh, the burden, I, I was referring more patients if yeah. they required long workups. And I said, mm-hmm. this isn't fair for my patients as well as myself. Yeah. And that's when I decided to retire. So it was like a moment when a switch flipped for you. Absolutely. And I people, uh, John Allop had asked me one time, I retired before he did, uh, but I'm older than him. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, John asked me one time, Bud, he said, how do you know when it's time to retire? I said, John, you'll know. You'll know. Mm. You will know. Yeah. I guarantee you, you will know. And he wasn't too long after that that yeah. I think he uh, he took the shingle down and, and yeah. retired. Uh, but uh, and, and I tell people that if they ask me, uh, mm-hmm. you'll know. Yeah. You know, whatever you're doing, not over in, only in medicine, but sure. in uh, whatever your job is. Yeah. You'll know when it's time. So, you know, interestingly, Dr. Veer, um, medicine, which in when you started, uh, were you doing home calls? Yes. Interestingly, guess what we're getting back to right now? Really? In this country. Yes. Well, well, I took care of a lot of Amish patients. True. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I, I would do house calls for them. Uh, they'd come to the office too, but uh, yeah. uh, I have to tell you a story. Sure. Uh, uh, OB story. Uh, I received a call one evening uh, from one of my Amish patients, and uh, he said, Doc, he said, my wife's having some stomach problems. Uh, could you come out and, and check her out? And I said, well, yeah, I can do that. Then I got to thinking, hmm, I was suspicious. So I told my wife to come along with me. I said, you're coming with me. Mm-hmm. My wife did childbirth education right. and, oh, and, okay. also, and also helped uh, with breastfeeding yeah. and so forth. Uh, and so I, you need to come with me on this one. And so she did. Fortunately, she did. Uh, we got there, and of course, his wife was in labor. Yes. Uh, and uh, and she, uh, we delivered the baby. It wasn't her first. Uh, we delivered the baby, and she had a problem afterwards. The afterbirth wouldn't wouldn't come loose, mm. oh, and no. she was bleeding. Mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of nowhere with no blood, no Nothing. backup. You know. Yeah. And, oh my lord, what's going to happen now? And fortunately, my wife, who had helped her through the labor and delivery, uh, said, well, let's put the baby to breast. Oh, okay. 
put the baby to breast, and that caused the placenta to release. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Uh, I would not have thought of that if no. that hadn't been for my wife. Right. Uh, and uh, and she did fine. And afterwards, I, uh, of course, scolded the uh, the husband. I said, uh, you knew exactly what you were. You wanted a home delivery, didn't you? And uh, he smiled and oh, he said, my goodness. worked out all right, didn't oh, it, Doc? My oh, goodness. my goodness. <laughs> Is that right? Isn't I, that I, I, I've seen him several times <laughs> through the years, you know. Yeah. And uh, he, he still smiles yeah, about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, believe it or not, uh, Dr. Veer, we are actually going back to some of those principles because I'm going to be releasing here very soon a project where we're going to do annual visits in the home. Really? We're going to do the annual uh, checkup uh, for a certain portion of our population. So, really? Yeah. So so we're starting to see some of that medicine return. Oh, that's uh, exciting. To those places. You know, obviously we do home care, which is an extension of what you as a physician did 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Yeah. Uh, incredibly. So, you know, w- one of the things I want to get back to, though, Dr. Veer, is the art of medicine. Okay. I really want to, I want you to expound a little bit further, if you could, on that, because you build a relationship with thousands of mm-hmm. people. Uh, and in today's world of technology, don't you find that life is just going 200 miles an hour, Dr. Veer? Well, how do you how Jay, do you build that relationship? How, Jay, what advice would you give? All right, Jay. One of the concerns I've heard uh, from many patients mm-hmm. uh, is concerns about getting reports back. Sure. Uh, they go in for an x-ray. Or they go in for a uh, a mammogram. Yeah. Um, now, when do you think that patient wants to know the result of that? As they walk out the door. Yes. Right. <laughs> and we used to do that. Yeah. I would come over if I had a patient come in the emergency room. Maybe they had a a, a pneumonia, uh, or they a possible pneumonia, and we'd do an X-ray, and uh, they literally wanted to know right then, and I could do that. I could go in and talk to the radiologist, yeah. uh, which I often did because I can't read x-rays, right. uh, and uh, say, well, what does it show? And I could tell the patient before they left the emergency room, uh, well, you do have some pneumonia on the right side or whatever, uh, and therefore we need to give you some some antibiotics or whatever it might be. Um, and I think the I am baffled sometimes at the length of time it takes for a patient to find out a report. As a woman, if a woman goes mm-hmm. in, has, mm-hmm. has a lump in her breast, mm-hmm. she has a mammogram, when do you think she wants to know if that's uh, a problem or yeah. not? Like right away. Mm-hmm. Not when she has the next appointment a week right. from then. Uh, and sometimes you get that. Mm-hmm. Well, you'll have to wait until your appointment. You can talk to the doctor. no. No, I want to know now. Uh, and I, I had a, a situation with one of my daughters uh, who had a possible pneumonia, a chest X-ray, and she called several times uh, to the office of the doctor and uh, to find out the results. And they, well, they, they haven't, whatever. And a week later, mm-hmm. she got reported that oh, you have pneumonia. Wow! It took a week. Now this this was unusual, I know, uh, but. With the technology of today, we didn't have that back right. then. It's a good point. It's we didn't have point. that. We, yeah. we would pick up our, our, our reports yeah. when we made rounds in the morning at the hospital, go take them to the office, 
And if somebody needed to be called with a report, we could call them right then. Uh, it was actually quicker then than before we had yeah. the technology. Yeah. And that makes no sense to me. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, to me, it's, it's almost an attitude uh, that the patient becomes almost a pawn. Mm -hmm. um, the patient becomes just a, a, a disease or a, an injury or something. And, uh, well, we've taken care of the injury. What's your problem? Mm -hmm. uh, well, the problem is I, I didn't get any feeling that you really cared uh, whether I got well or not. You gave me the treatment, but uh, mm -hmm. did you really care? Did it make any difference to you? Mm -hmm. I'm a human being. Right. Treat me like a human being. Right. And to me, Jay, I, I guess if, if I could encapsulate it, it's just a question of making the patient feel important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, regardless of what the disease is, what right. the injury is, uh, or even maybe what the attitude of the patient is. Right. Uh, and to me, that's the part of medicine that I think has, has, has suffered. Can I use an example, please? Mm -hmm. uh, that's non-medical. Uh, <laughs> uh, we have a uh, a hardware store in town, and this is not a commercial. Sure, uh, <laughs> not a commercial, but right. uh, Gelser's hard Hardware. Most people in the community oh, yeah. are familiar with mm -hmm. it. Sure. They've been there. You can't walk in that store and be there for ten seconds before somebody is at your side yeah. saying. What do you need? Yeah. Can I help you with something? To me, that's the art of business. Yes. And that's right. the kind of uh, of attitude I think we need in medicine. Yeah. The art of medicine, yeah. making patients feel important. Mm -hmm. Well, we I know for a fact that you mastered that during your tenure because even to this day, I hear this phrase, Dr. Veer. <laughs> Dr. Veer did X. Dr. Veer delivered my X. Dr. Veer, uh, you made a lasting impression, Dr. Veer. It's because of that human connection that you built. Uh, you did not judge anyone regardless of their ability to even pay. How many times in your private practice did you go without payment? Oh, Jenny, that, that's an interesting uh, that gets into the government. Oh, it does. It <laughs> a, does. Little, mm -hmm. a little bit because when I started practice, we didn't have Medicaid. Yeah. We didn't have Medicaid. Right. And so a poor patient would come into the, the office, and they they had a sick child, but all three of their children were sick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they would bring all three of them in, and I would, I, I wasn't unusual. I, I'm not all the all the doctors did this. Yeah. Saw the patient. I saw all three of them. Right. And I charged for one, one. Mm -hmm. maybe, or maybe it was NC, no charge on the slip that went to the front office. Mm -hmm. Now. Medicaid comes in. Same scenario. Now what do I do? I charge, charge for all three, three of them, yeah. whatever Medicaid will yeah. pay, yeah. justifying it by the basis that they pay less, and yeah. so yeah. Mm -hmm. I charge for all three. But it changed my attitude, and that bothered me. Hmm. That really bothered me because it was, it, it was a change in attitude based on mm -hmm. – a governmental program. Yeah. It puts and, something else into your thought process yes. that you couldn't necessarily yeah. control yeah. or eliminate. Yeah. It became part of the process. You couldn't change that. And I didn't That's I didn't feel good about that. Yeah. I felt good about the patient that I sure. 
didn't charge. Uh, that made me feel like I had done something yeah. uh, yeah. godlike or something, yeah, but sure. <laughs> uh, but not when the government was involved. Yeah, right. And interesting perspective, both technology and government payers. Oh, how yeah. they've how they've impacted the care that we can give mm-hmm. today. Oh yeah. Uh, in medicine, and that's uh, to your point. Getting back to the art, I think Rachel is so important, and you're working on that right now with our mm-hmm. patient experience. Uh, in some of the work that you've done, I think, you know, one of the things that Dr. Veer has talked about what launched this program for his interview today was giving me the business about an experience that he had in my emergency department. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to be candid. Uh, and he gave me the wherefore about what needs to change with that. His care was great, but it's the interactions right. uh, mm-hmm. with the provider. And that's what he wanted me to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've changed that, uh, as you know. I've mm-hmm. tasked the emergency mm-hmm. department. Uh, they've brought in a trainer uh, for the emergency department. Uh, that trainer will be meeting with those doctors and mm-hmm. going through what's called scripting and to, and to humanize and right. to personalize this. Because for the ER doc that is here on a 12-hour shift, seeing 70 patients, you know, it becomes mechanical. It just really right. does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have to get back to that human side. But thanks to Dr. Veer, um, I, I actually reached out to the company that we have and had that conversation about we need to shift some focus here. Mm-hmm. We are getting too mechanical and we are getting too scripted in the sense of get them in, treat them, diagnose, don't talk, get them out. Uh, and that's what needs to change. And that's right. what is that's what is changing here at Hillsdale, thanks to uh, the conversation that I had with Dr. Veer. He also brought another problem, uh, and that is uh, one of his children, his daughter, needed a record on her daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. And they came uh, late one night, and they could not access that. Uh, and that also prompted us to promote the patient portal uh, for getting that information at mm-hmm. the fingertips of our family members and their loved ones. So right. um, through this technology, it all doesn't have to be bad. Mm-hmm. You know, we can use it for the good. Uh, and getting back to some of the first principles, we'll call them, uh, that Dr. Veer had decades ago in medicine, I think are what's really what's necessary and needed in medicine today. And, mm-hmm. and we're starting to, to go back to it. Quint Studer developed an entire series on how to connect with the patient. Oh, an entire business. It's a business model. Right. Uh, in, in, in Behind literally hospitals do that. Hundreds of millions of dollars have been poured into this mm-hmm. uh, over the years by hospitals to try to figure out what is that balance right. between the art and the science. Mm-hmm. Now, physicians, generally speaking, Dr. Veer, they really like to focus on the science. <laughs> uh, they do. And and there are great, you know, physicians like Dr. Veer who also understand and appreciate the art of it. In many respects, Dr. Veer, that came because you had to. If you did not engage your patients, they would go somewhere else. Absolutely. And they walk with their feet and they vote with their feet. And, and that is your livelihood. You can't rely on the hospital to cut you a check every two weeks. No, we didn't. We, when I came here, um, I had to start my practice. Um, there was no guarantee like there is today oh, when you bring in new mm-hmm. doctors. And I know that costs a lot of money to bring sure. in new doctors. Uh, but there was no guarantee. I started from zero. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I actually built my practice, which was not unusual, by taking extra emergency room call. Yeah. Uh, so I would see patients that didn't have doctors or right. doctors were gone or whatever. And that's the way I built my practice. But it took me probably, probably it took me a good four to six months to to get to the point where I could 
pay my way. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. So, so it's, it's changed a yeah, lot. It really uh, has. So if you had to give today's healthcare providers a, a piece of advice, and I, and I think you kind of hinted at this of making people feel important, which to JJ's point, that's something we just talked about with all of our staff at our enrichment workshops um, mm-hmm. in, in July, um, was making sure people know that they're important, that they matter to you as a person, that they as a human being matter to you as a human being. Um, but in general, what kind of advice would you give to our healthcare providers today so they can avoid the trap of going through the motions, relying on technology as more of a crutch than an enhancement? Well, I think I would tell them to uh, pretend that they're the patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what would you like to know about your condition if you went in to see a doctor? Yeah. Uh, how would you feel about getting information, about uh, uh, recommendations, about the way you're treated, uh, the way you're addressed? And if you can... If you can put yourself in the patient's uh, shoes, mm-hmm. uh, I think it it's probably the best way to mm-hmm. to approach how you deal with your patients. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't view them as uh, as just a science uh, project. Yeah. Uh, view them as a a human being. Right. That has problems. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I think that would be my recommendation. Just to put yourself in the patient's shoes. So it's been great to have with us today. Believe it or not, our hour is upon us. Uh, Dr. Charles Veer, uh, single-handedly, with the help of his nursing staff and his wife at times, (laughs) 2,000 babies delivered. Amazing. Uh, You know, over two decades of healthcare services here to Hillsdale County, uh, providing services in the emergency department, outpatient, uh, and it's just been a great pleasure to have you in the studio, Dr. Veer, and to know that at 96, you're still going strong uh, <laughs> and having written five books. And I've yes. read two of them, um, but having written five books to tell of his remarkable journey and their stories of passion and hope. And that's what he brought to our community, mm-hmm. uh, both in there. There's a tremendous background story about Dr. Veer and his wife and what they've done in this community to to really energize it. But uh, truly, it has been a great honor to have you share your insights 30 years ago. And what we're coming around to full circle, believe it or not, is getting back to some of those first principles. It's been great having you in the studio today, Dr. Veer. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity. And before we close, we like to do something on our show uh, by asking a question. It's a fun segment. We want to know what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? Oh, my. <laughs> there have been a lot of them. Uh, I suppose uh, the story I just told about the, the yeah. homage to <laughs> home delivery. I did not choose to do home deliveries. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I did a couple of them, but they were not intentional. <laughs> uh, because I I like the support of the hospital and the facilities yes. and so forth. Uh, and I know that uh, I'll, I'll put kind of a plug in for uh, Sue Rusk. Sue Rusk was, uh, was well, is a midwife, uh, a lay midwife. Uh, and uh, her, she 
She told someone one time that her objective was to deliver more babies than I did, and she actually <laughs> did that. I think she delivered oh 2,500 or something. Oh, wow. And most of them were home deliveries, and she did a great job. She was very good. Occasionally, we'd have uh, I'd have to uh, do some stitching up uh, afterwards, uh, uh, but uh, uh, she did a good job. But in terms of uh, an experience, uh, and I, that, that's an <laughs> interesting question, uh, Jay, I guess I, I would say read my book, <laughs> so my small town doc book. Small town doc book, yes, yeah. that's right. Uh, which yeah. uh, which has a, a lot of my experiences, of course, in there. But uh, medicine uh, to me was a, a real blessing, uh-huh. and I was fortunate to uh, have uh, a an unbelievable woman at my side yes. for sixty eight years. Yes. Uh, I am a realist. I want to. I want to see the money, you yeah. know. Uh, but I was married to a woman who was a uh, a visionary optimist. Sure, she, she, uh, she, she sure was. She, she looked at the goal and didn't worry about the journey. Yeah, I worried mm-hmm. about the journey. Yeah, uh, but uh, no, she she was remarkable. I never would have been a doctor without without her. Yeah. Well, you were blessed. Beside you was Absolutely. a wonderful woman. Absolutely. And we as a community were blessed, Dr. Veer, to have your service uh, to Hillsdale Hospital. Uh, and there'll be countless stories that are told beyond this. So I'm sure you had a lot of rural experiences, but just practicing in this rural community probably was an experience in and of itself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was very interesting. Yeah. That's great. Well, once again, thanks for joining us today, Dr. Veer. Thank you. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest. So be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Dr. Charles Veer, retired chief of staff and family physician for Hillsdale Hospital. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.